All right, well, let me introduce you to Esther and Jonah, and why in the world are we studying two Old Testament books together that seem to actually have nothing to do with each other? Well, Esther is 10 short chapters, and Jonah is four even shorter chapters. So these are very short books in the Old Testament, and they are about these two people that have been chosen by God. And so they're actually very similar in many ways, because they're people that have been chosen, invited, called by God to do something that I would say neither of them actually wanted to do. Esther was summoned in to the king's harem. Jonah was sent to a foreign land to minister to basically the most evil people on the planet. I would say neither of them actually wanted to do that. And they both had very different responses. Esther, as we'll find out, I would characterize her as marked as brave. She kind of fearlessly goes ahead. Although we see some things that make us scratch our head with her, but for the most part, I would say she is a very brave woman. Jonah gets this calling from God, and he turns and runs the other direction. He gets as far away from the calling that God has actually put on his life. God pursues him. He eventually reluctantly follows. So two real people chosen by God to do something extraordinary. And that's what I want us to notice, is that Esther and Jonah are not just Old Testament Bible characters, they are real people. And they are chosen to do real things, things that are beyond their ability to do. And the only way they can do that is because they serve an extraordinary God. And the exact same thing is true of us. We are also real people, last time I checked, and we serve an extraordinary God. And he invites us to do things that feel way beyond our capacity. Sometimes we're actually going to enjoy the invitation that he ushers us into. And sometimes we are going to really not want to do what it is that he is calling us to do. But just like Esther and Jonah, we will have a choice. We will have a choice for how we will follow him and how we will respond. So my prayer has been, as I've been praying over this study and working on writing this study over the last summer and these last months is that God would move in this room and in your lives and that the Holy Spirit would show up and would show us how he is inviting us to take a next step with him. Because every single one of us is being invited to follow. And so with that in mind, before I introduce Esther a little bit more to you, I want to just pray over us. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we invite you into this space. We invite you into this study. And we do believe that um, no one is here by mistake. Lord, that you see every woman who is sitting here today that you know her by name, you know her story, you have given her gifts and ability, you have placed her here for a reason and a purpose. So Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would break through, that you would teach us through Esther, that you would teach us through Jonah, that you would reveal to us how you are calling us to respond to you, how you have chosen us for such a time as this. 
So Lord, I pray that not only will you reveal that, but would you give us the courage of Esther to follow you? No matter where you take us, I pray that you would just help us take one next step at a time to keep our eyes solidly focused on you, knowing that you are in control. So would you do something special over these next nine weeks in our lives, in our hearts, in this community, in these table groups? Lord Jesus, would you just be here and be present and do the work that only you can do? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to start our study by taking four weeks with Esther. Then we're going to move into four weeks with Jonah. And then we're going to spend that last week, that last week that Amy told you you have to come back for, comparing Esther and Jonah, and then also taking a deep look at our own lives and seeing where God is calling us to take a next step. And so I really am excited about that last week. I think it's going to be a powerful week. But before we get started in Esther, I want to just give you a little bit of background so that when you open your Bible study, either later today or tomorrow, you'll kind of have a little bit of grounding of where we're going and what's going on with Esther. So Esther, the story of Esther, takes place in Susa. Now, Susa is really modern-day Iran. And Susa is ruled by the powerful King Xerxes. Okay, so before I can get to why we have a Jewish woman living in a pagan nation, we need to back up a little bit to know a little more of the history of why is she even in this place called Susa. And to do that, we have to actually go all the way back to Moses, which is about 900 years before Esther. Now, most of you know who Moses is. Moses, as you will recall, is the man that God sent to rescue the Israelites from slavery under the Egyptians. So the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years. God sends Moses. They go on this crazy journey through the desert, and they are rescued from slavery. In that time, God makes a covenant with his people. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And a covenant is simply a holy binding agreement. And this covenant basically says, if you, the people of God, will obey me, God, then you will be blessed and protected. If you, however, choose to disobey and wander away from me, then I will remove my hand of protection over you. So the covenant is actually very simple. If you obey, then God will protect and watch over you. And if you disobey, then God will remove his hand of protection and actually he will scatter the people all over the nation or he will allow that to happen. Now, we live in a different time. We live in the time of Jesus and so we don't have this if-then covenant that we live under. This is what was set up for the people of this time. So the people, if you have read any of the Old Testament, you will know that it did not take long for them to start to disobey God. And God was exceedingly patient with his people. Exceedingly patient. 800 years long patient, which I think is exceeding, don't you? <laughs> and so for 800 years, the people wander back and forth and they come back and God accepts them. And finally, they wander so far away, they start worshiping other gods that God allows the full force of the consequences of the covenant to take place. And it is at this time that the Babylonians 
attack the nation of Israel. And it is now 586 BC. This is probably the darkest year for the nation of Israel. Because not only are they attacked, but the nation is actually scattered everywhere, and the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. Now this is a huge deal. This isn't like Irving Bible Church got flattened. The temple of God in the Old Testament is actually where God resided. It is actually so symbolic of, of his presence with them that when the temple gets destroyed, they see it as God's presence is gone. It's a big deal that the temple is destroyed. And so this is a dark year in the lives of the nation of Israel. Now, as we know, God has always allowed provision for them to return. So even when this happens, he just said, if you just would return and repent, I am still here. And as we see, as the story continues to unfold, we see that with Jesus and how he does extravagant things to come toward us. But here we are in 586, the people are scattered, they are taken into exile, and everything is just a big mess. Well, then you fast forward another 50 years, and we find ourselves in 539 BC. Another pagan king comes to power. His name is King Cyrus, and he finds favor with the Israelites, and he actually says to the Israelites, you guys can go back to Jerusalem. You can reclaim this as your homeland, and you can start rebuilding the temple. And so a remnant of the Israelites decide, okay, we're going to go back, and we're going to rebuild. But many of the Israelites don't return. Now, I think this is understandable. It's been 50 years. A lot happens in 50 years, right? A whole new generation has been born. They don't even know what Jerusalem looks like. So they've stayed put. So you've got a little remnant that's gone back and you've got exiles still living all over. Okay, so then we fast forward another 50 years and here we find ourselves in the story of Esther. So we are now 100 years past the temple being destroyed, and Esther has stayed in Susa with a remnant of the Israelites. It doesn't tell us why. The book of Esther does not tell us why she's there or why she and her family stayed in Susa. But I would just imagine they have lives and they have livelihoods. And sometimes it's easier to stay even when something's not good, than to go into something unknown for the possibility that it could be better. So even though she's in a place as a foreigner, and as you're gonna quickly find out, she's not super accepted and not welcome, she stays put. So this is the history of the story of Esther and why she's in Susa. And so now we can start with a few of the main characters of our book. I just want to introduce you to four people in the book that you're going to encounter. And you'll get to know them a little bit more as we go along. But the first person is the one I already mentioned, and his name is King Xerxes. So King Xerxes is the powerful ruler of Susa and actually all of Persia, which is just this all the surrounding land. He is probably the most powerful man in the world at this time. And he not only has untold power, but he has untold wealth and unchecked power and unchecked wealth. So you can only imagine what that does to a human being, right? So he has some unfortunate character traits. He is prideful, he's a bit of a people pleaser, and he's impulsive. 
The other person you need to know is Haman. Now Haman is kind of his right-hand guy. He's one of his advisors, and he consistently gives bad advice, which King Xerxes consistently takes. So you'll hear all about that. Now Mordecai is another person you need to know. Mordecai is actually Esther's older cousin. But Esther's parents have died, and so Mordecai actually takes Esther in and raises her as his own daughter. So he's kind of like an adoptive father to her. And then finally, there's Esther. So Esther is our unlikely hero. Let me tell you why. She is a foreigner. She is an orphan. She is young. She's a young woman. She's a woman. Women have no power. They have no influence. They have very little rights, very little standing. By all accounts, she is a nobody, right? And yet, as we will see, she is the one who gets an audience with the king that ultimately saves the entire nation of Israel. So Esther, who looks like a nobody, actually isn't a nobody at all, not in the eyes of God. But you need to prepare yourself because her story is hard. It is hard to think about and consider all that she went through and who she really was. She is a taken woman. And I don't know if she had any say in the matter, but I would assume she didn't. Because if you get summoned to the most powerful man's palace as a young woman, I don't think you get a say in that. And so she is taken into with the palace with all of these other young women, spends a year doing beauty treatments to prepare herself for one night that she will have with the king. Now, most likely what's going to happen to her is she will have one night with the king. He will consider her just another commodity to be used. And then she will become a concubine, which means that she will be taken care of. She'll live somewhere in the outskirts of the palace, but she will pretty much never be seen or heard from again. She's basically going to become a widow in this culture. That is what's set up for Esther. So she doesn't have a whole lot of choices. And to be really honest, it's hard to reconcile. Why would God even allow something this terrible to happen? And I'm not going to get into that right now. Sissy's actually going to take a look at that with you next week. But here's what I want you to walk away with today. Even when it's terrible, he is still there. And he is still present with us. We can't explain away all the terrible things that happen in this world. We've lived many of those stories. We see them lived out around us. The only thing that we can rest in is that God is with us no matter what. And he was with Esther as well. Which brings me actually to the last character in our story that I want to introduce you to. And that is God. Now one of the really interesting things about the book of Esther that you will find as you read through it, which I'm going to ask you to do either today or tomorrow, is read through the entire book of Esther because it is a story. And like any story, it's helpful to not just go in and dive in and pick out the pieces of it, but to read the whole story. Notice, God is not mentioned one time. Not once. This is a book of scripture, and God is not mentioned in it. 
That strikes us as odd, doesn't it? It's the only book of scripture where God is not mentioned. He is the unseen main character of the story of Esther, which means we have to look for him. And it's actually become one of my favorite parts of the book of Esther because isn't that our lives as well? We have to look for him in our lives as well. He's the unseen main character of everything that happens in our lives. What theologians call this is providence. And it's one of the main things that we're going to study through the book of Esther. Now, you don't have to write this definition down because I've got it for you in your book on the first day. But providence is this. It's God's active and intimate involvement in sustaining our world and providing for the needs of people, especially those who follow him in faith, even when we don't clearly see it. Okay, so it's God's active and intimate involvement in sustaining our world. That's basically like the sun came up this morning. That is the providence of God. Without God's sustaining presence in our world, the sun would not rise. But we don't actually consider that, do we? It's just expected. The sun is supposed to come up in the morning. That's what happens every day without fail. But that is actually the providence of God. But it's not just this out here kind of mystical, detached thing. It's also very intimate and personal in how he provides for our lives. Especially us, his daughters, those who know him and follow him. How he provides for us even when we don't clearly see it. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story of how I have been seeing God's providence in our life, in my life, over these last few weeks. It's actually more a story about my mother-in-law. Um, so my mother-in-law is named Ellen, and Ellen lives in Minnesota. Um, I won't tell you how old she is because she said she's going to listen to this, and I don't think she would appreciate me telling her age. But... Ellen was leaving her house one day about three or so weeks ago, and as she was leaving the back door, she slammed the door, and her left hand was caught in the door, and she slammed her finger very badly in the door. And um, she had things to do, so Ellen is a Minnesota woman, and so she just wrapped it up, and she kept going, (laughs) and she did her thing. She had people coming over that night, And uh, the next day, it really hurt. And then the next day, she finally went to the doctor, and they were like, oh, this is not good. Uh, So she actually landed in the hospital in Minnesota for two days because the finger had gotten so badly infected. So she's in the hospital for two days. They do IV antibiotics and take care of her. She leaves the hospital. She's got painkillers, and, you know, they're taking care of everything outside of the hospital. Um, and she seems to be on the mend. So she then gets on a plane and flies to Texas. We are now January 1st, because she's going to come spend a late Christmas with us. So it's been a long day of travel for her on January 1st, and she comes in kind of towards the end of the day, um, because my husband works for American Airlines, so she flies standby, and unfortunately, she missed a flight because there were no seats. So this is kind of the game we play. Uh, You get to fly for free, but you might sit in the airport for all day. And she did, unfortunately, have to sit in the airport. So when she got to us, she was just tired. It had just been a long day, and her finger hurt. So one of the things that she found is soothing is she unwrapped it to soak it. And she put it in some hot water, and I was like, whoa, this is not good. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but that's not good. 
She was, I'm fine, I'm, you know, it's just a little pain. She took an Advil, one, <laughs> and went to bed. <laughs> I was like, you can take two of those, you know. No, just one. So she <laughs> goes to bed. She hardly sleeps. Uh, the next day, so now we're on uh, Thursday, January 2nd, um, the pain is just increasing, increasing. So she calls her doctor in Minnesota, and they prescribe for her another antibiotic and some painkillers. So my husband and she go off to Walgreens to fill the pain medication. Well, we all know the abuse of pain medication that's happening. And one of the wonderful things that's been put into place is you can't prescribe certain painkillers over state lines. So guess what? She couldn't get her painkiller. So they're like, oh, okay, what are we going to do? Well, the pain keeps going up. And my husband just says, we're going to the emergency room. So he takes her to one of the standalone emergency rooms near our house, and they thankfully can see her right away. They, oh, this is not good. They give her painkillers, antibiotics, order the ambulance, and she winds up in the hospital across town from us. So then the doctor comes to look. I know this is a long story, but <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to a really great point. So then the doctor comes to look at it, and I'm sorry, it does get worse. Um, and he, he says, we're going to need to do surgery to clean it out. So they take her in. They do the surgery. Afterward, he comes and he tells us, we really need to amputate her finger. Ugh. Okay, I know this is not good. But it gets, no, it doesn't. But so anyway, <laughs> she, we're all distraught over this. We just landed in random hospital because we went to random ER with random doctor, and how do we know that this one person is giving us good advice on her finger? So I don't know if you were here two Sundays ago, but we do prayers every Sunday where we pray for people by name in church service. And last Sunday, we prayed for Ellen. Uh, we prayed for Tim's mother, Ellen, which was my mother-in-law. I realized at that time that I had not actually sent out this prayer request to our staff. So this is one of the beautiful things that our staff does is that we send out prayer requests or things that are happening so that our staff team can pray for us. So I sent them the request and told them what happens. Well, no sooner than maybe 30 minutes, one of my friends on staff calls me and says to me, hey, is she at such and such hospital? And I was like, yeah, she is. My husband works there, and he knows some of the doctors. So if you give us her name, then we can do some things. So we do that. He winds up talking to not the surgeon, but the supervising surgeon. That supervising surgeon comes within a few hours to look at her on Sunday, looks at her hand, concurs. This is absolutely what does need to happen, and I'm so sorry that needs to happen. But here's the thing. I can do the surgery so that your hand won't look deformed. Um, it'll still be missing a finger, but it will look better. She feels incredible peace. We have the surgery. I'm going to show you a picture of her so you know that she's okay. Uh, this is Ellen. She's had the surgery. She is out of pain and doing much better. Now, here's what I want to tell you. All the ways we saw God's providential hand of blessing in this story. Are you ready? First of all, she got to Texas. Now, you may think, gosh, wouldn't it have been better for her to have a surgery in Minnesota, which is where she lives and where her community is? Maybe, but she wouldn't have been with us. And we were actually the people that were set up to care for her. 
See, she went into the hospital on the second. My husband had vacation until the sixth. His calendar was absolutely clear. And while nobody wants to sit in a hospital, he had all the space in the world to sit in the hospital with his mom and care for her. Second, they couldn't fill the pain prescription. And what if they could have? Maybe it would have just covered up the infection. See, that seemed really bad, didn't it? But all of a sudden, you see, oh, if we had got the pain prescription, maybe she would have gone home and the infection would have gotten worse, and it would have been more than that. But instead, no pain prescription meant we have to go to the ER. Next thing, this is not the ER I would have chosen. I was not in control. Let's thank God for that right now. <laughs> because this particular standalone ER happens to be right across the street from the hospital that's actually really close to our house. And it's a new hospital, which is where I would have preferred her to be. But my husband took her to that ER, which admitted to the hospital all the way across town, not where I wanted her to be. But that is where my friend's husband worked. And that is where we could get a second opinion from a doctor. And I walked into her hospital room on Sunday afternoon after I'd gotten off the phone with my friend, and I said, you are never going to believe what just happened. And she burst into tears, and she said, Jody, you have to listen. I just read this out of Jesus Calling, and I need to read it to you. And she opened up her devotional book. And if you've never read Jesus Calling, um, it, it, it's written from the perspective of God talking to you. And it said this, the more extreme your circumstances, the more likely you are to see my power and glory at work in the situation. Instead of letting difficulties draw you into worrying, try to view them as setting the scene for my glorious intervention. Keep your eyes and your mind wide open to all I am doing in your life. She said, I've just been trusting and waiting for him to show me that he is working. And he did. He showed her, he gave her the confirmation she needed. And then this doctor who made space for Sunday to come see her made space at the end of his day to have surgery on her hand. So here's the thing about God's providence. Wouldn't it have been nice if she just didn't slam her finger in the door in the first place? Wouldn't that have been the better story of God's providence? And yet that's not what he chose to let happen. He chose to let something that feels hard and not good happen in her life. But then he showed up and he was with her every step of the way. And those were just the places we got to see him show up. There are thousands of details, thousands of ways that he was providing for her, that he was providing for us that we don't even know about. And that's the story of all of our lives. God is in all the details. And when things feel like they aren't good, he's still there. We need to put on the glasses and look for him and notice how is he showing up. It's not the story she wants. It's not the story I want for her. But God is good. And she is finding joy because she knows that this was the right thing to do. One of the things that I'm going to have you do the first week of your study is to really take some space to put on these glasses and look for God's providence and how it shows up in your life. If um, you look with me real quick, grab your book, and if you turn to page 10, 
you'll see right there at the top, right below day one. And so I don't want you to miss it because it's not technically a question, it's out in the side margin. And it says this, before you start today's lesson, ask the Lord to help you notice three to five places where he was present over the last 24 hours. This is just noticing his providence. It could be that the sun came up again, praise the Lord. It might be, I got a warm bed to wake up in. It might be that the doctor found something. It might be that I wasn't healed, but gosh, the peace that surpasses all understanding invaded my life. It might be the fact that you were driving the speed limit and you saw the cop. I'm just kidding, that's actually, that's just obeying the law, so that doesn't count. I don't know what it's gonna be for you, but God will show up and his fingerprints are all over your lives in big and little ways. But ask him, Holy Spirit, show me. Where were you? Help me see you, help me notice you. And take that space and write down three to five things each day. This is actually how we're gonna start each of our lessons. Not specifically this way, but if you've ever done one of my Bible studies, it's been a little while since we've done one in here, I start with something that I'm really passionate about and that's spiritual practices, which are basically just ways to exercise our spiritual muscles, ways to take what we're learning in our head and actually move it down into our heart and out into our hands. It's just practical things that we can do. There's a lot of different things we're gonna do from fasting, perhaps from social media, from food, to sharing meals with people, to sharing the gospel with someone, to giving something that's useful to you away to somebody that you think will be blessed by it, to examining our lives. Each week, I'm gonna give you a practice to do. And I get that sometimes weeks get crazy and it might be tempting just to skip the practice and start with question one. But can I encourage you, please don't do that. The goal of this Bible study is not to make you smarter. The goal of this Bible study is for transformation. The goal of this Bible study and studying Esther and Jonah is that we would actually become more like Jesus in some way. And so while it may be tempting to skip these practices, please don't because I think they are essential to our spiritual growth. And when we can come back together as a table group and, and dialogue and reflect on, yeah, that was really good for me, or I don't know, it was just kind of for me, you know, that's okay. Because we all are all these different learning styles, all these different personalities. The way we kind of talk to God and, and, and invest in our relationship with God is different, should be different. And so some of these practices you're gonna love and hopefully they'll actually become a part of your spiritual rhythm moving forward. Some of them you try once and you go, that's just not for me, that's okay. But it's trying something new. So please do give them some space to do that. So I'm really excited that we are starting this study of Esther together. I've really, in so many ways, fallen in love with both of Esther and Jonah and what they have to teach us. And God has revealed so much, even to me, he's really been challenging me about how he's calling me and where he's inviting me to go with him. So I hope that you are challenged in the same way. Please know that I have been praying over this study and over you, and um, 
It's an offering to God that we get to do and participate in together. So please make doing this a priority because God has something good for us. And I am really excited to hear the stories of where he leads us. Well, we are going to take some time now where you are going to get to go into your small group and have some conversation. You'll get to go through the schedule um, and you'll have another icebreaker question. So I'm gonna give it to you now for those of you who are processors, you have like 30 seconds while you're walking to your room to process this question. But where did you see God's provision for you in 2019? So where did you see God's provision in 2019? Well, um, again, I'm excited to be on this journey with you, and I know we already prayed, but I feel like we need to pray again. So let me pray over us, and then I'll dismiss you into your small groups. Lord Jesus, thank you. Gosh, thank you for how you are providentially in our lives. May we not pass those things off as mere coincidence. Good luck, even bad luck. Lord, may we just see you in the midst of it all. Thank you for how you cared for Ellen. Thank you how you watched over Esther. Lord, thank you how you watch over us as well. May we have eyes to see your providential care for us and our world. So go before us now and just be in our small group. Help us to bond deeply in friendship and sisterhood. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.